This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 15. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is one of the brilliant people behind Gumroad, a fast-growing startup in the digital commerce space and a platform I use for all of my products. Ryan is the head of growth and business development at Gumroad. If you do a quick search Ryan, Delk, or, or Gumroad, you'll probably find dozens of articles, interviews, and videos featuring or talking about Ryan and the Gumroad platform. And there's a good reason for this. Uh, Ryan himself is really the definition of hustle. He's uh, done an incredible job of establishing relationships with all sorts of people uh, to encourage use of Gumroad as their sales platform of choice, from big-name musicians like Keith Urban to less well-known but arguably more handsome entrepreneurs like myself. <laughs> so, Ryan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tom. For sure, man. So, you know, the way I like to start all these um, interviews, these, these conversations, is to get to know a little bit about the, the person we're talking to. So tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved with Gumroad. Yeah, so um, I got involved with, with Gumroad and kind of with startups in a whole, uh, as a whole in a pretty roundabout way. Um, you know, I've kind of always been really interested in this idea of like uh, finding opportunities to create value for people and sort of uh, ways to make money and uh, like really like monetize value creation uh, from a really young age. And so I was sort of always interested in like different ways to do that, whether that was selling things, whether that was providing services. So in middle school and high school, I was really involved and, and kind of interested in that. And then I got to college and I thought, you know, I should do finance, like I should, you know, go into banking. That's sort of like the natural thing that you do. You make a lot of money, et cetera. So I did that my freshman year and uh, I did an internship after my freshman year in finance and really didn't enjoy it. So I knew that wasn't for me. Um, and so then I, my sophomore year, I wanted to do sort of figure out what the craziest thing I could do what would be because that was sort of like my last summer before I was like a junior and then I needed to be like working towards a career and all that. So I ended up going to Nairobi, uh, Kenya and working at a tech hub um, with a guy, his name's Eric Hurstman, he's a TED fellow, he's just a really well-known guy kind of in the tech space uh, and that ended up sort of, uh, it was just kind of where everything started for me where I really got uh, kind of excited about startups and about the tech world and, um, you know, sort of about the value that was being created and kind of how rapidly and you could create value and then how quickly you could scale that value. Um, and so I, I went there for three months and worked there sort of uh, building out the business side of this tech incubator and we ended up launching a, a venture fund to invest in these African tech startups and ended up meeting a lot of really cool people from the Valley. They were actually in Nairobi coming through the what's called the iHub um, and then got back to the States and sort of stayed involved with the iHub. It was an associate at the Savannah Fund, which was the fund we launched uh, for these investments, and uh, knew that I sort of wanted to like get into the sort of like San Francisco tech uh, tech startup scene. Um, and so I was, I was thinking about like what industries were sort of really ripe for disruption and what companies were doing sort of doing the disruption in a way that was really exciting. And uh, Square was at the top of my list, and this was, uh, um, I think... I don't know exactly what it was, but Square was, it was like a year and a half in, basically. 
uh, something was like 2000, late 2010, early 2011. Um, and so I, I reached out to them and uh, sort of got involved with, with Square while I was at school and uh, was able to help them out with some stuff, uh, sort of like part-time while I was at the University of Florida, and then was going to come out and join Square for the summer and potentially full-time. And then uh, I met Sahil, who's the founder of Gumroad, uh, who was uh, at Pinterest at the time and was leaving Pinterest to, to start Gumroad, and he was raising a seed round for it. Um, and we met up, and uh, after a couple conversations, uh, I decided not to not to join Square and to and to do to do Gumroad. So, sure. So, did you um did you work with uh, Square for a while though? Yes, yeah, so I was I was working for Square remotely while I was in school for I think like uh, six six or eight months, uh, and that was sort of like my plan. I was going to like work for them while I was in school, and then go out for the summer, and then you know probably stay on full time. And that was like what I wanted to do. Um, and Square was growing really, really quickly. So when I like sort of started working remotely, I think it was maybe like less than 100 people. Um, and then it was like 250 or like 300 by the time that I would have sort of gotten out and been working full time. Um, and so it was, I mean, still growing really quickly, still an amazing company. And I love Square, but it was just very big. And the opportunity to, you know, be at the ground floor of a company that I thought was, uh, you know, as disruptive or potentially more disruptive then Square was really, really exciting to me. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So then how did you actually make that, um, how did you actually, uh, you know, connect with uh, the founder of Gumroad? Yeah, so I, um, I was out in San Francisco. I was interviewing for a bunch of different positions. Um, and so I was out in San Francisco, and he had uh, written something on Hacker News about, you know, what he was doing and this, like, side project and all that. And so I... Um, I just reached out to him over email and just, uh, I think I shared some ideas for, uh, you know, like ways that I thought, you know, either partnerships for Gumroad or like opportunities for areas for Gumroad to grow in. Uh, I just asked if we could get a coffee in. Uh, something one of our investors, Chris Saka, says is uh, always add value before you ask for value. And uh, I, I think I just read that uh, like right around the time when I was thinking about like what I wanted to do and getting out to San Francisco and all that stuff. And so I sort of tried to approach uh, this whole, like, you know, what I was interviewing with a big company or just talking with founders and stuff, like, how do I add value before I ask for value for them? And, uh, you know, so sort of even before asking for the, like, hey, can we get coffee or, like, you know, hey, I want to work for you or, you know, are you looking to hire people? I think, like, finding ways to add value is really, really important. And so uh, that was sort of the strategy I took with, like, whether it was sort of, like, really actionable partnership ideas or just kind of growth strategy, um, you know, or specific people, you know, you could introduce someone to that would be valuable for them. Um, so that was that was what I did. I, I think after we saw how I met up, I sent some more ideas and some more, uh, you know, different partnerships that I thought could work really well and, like, a PDF or two of ideas. Um, and I think that, that just works really well because it shows immediately, like, you're thinking kind of on a very deep level about, the problems that they're solving, the things that they think about all day long, and hopefully giving them something that even if you never met them again or never talked to them again would still be valuable to them. Um, and that's that's something that I think applies to not just like you know getting jobs or meeting people, but just relationships in general and uh, sort of life as a whole. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty good motto. And I think Chris Saka, like the way that he said it, add value before you ask for value is is a really good way to think about it. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of fascinating too that you already had that mindset going into it because now your part in Gumroad is really, at least from my perspective, my vantage point, it seems like your job is to be that person that creates these relationships. Would you say that's, that's correct? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're definitely, um, you know, a lot of what I do is, is connecting with people and, 
you know, whether it's sort of thought leaders in our key verticals or people in the entertainment industry, um, you know, it's very relationship driven and it's, it's about finding people that are, uh, you know, selling content, doing exciting things, trying to push the envelope, find innovative, you know, platforms and use them and then, you know, connecting with them and, and finding ways that government can be valuable for them. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, <clears throat> you know, you, you, that's how you, you got the job. You, you basically, you were, you know, creating more value, um, you know, for somebody else before you ask anything in return. And now you're doing the same really when you're reaching out to people to build Gumroad. Uh, you know, what is it about the platform itself that, that gets you so excited um, and, and gets you so motivated to do that? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot, uh, you know, otherwise I probably wouldn't be working here if there wasn't a lot of things that got me excited. But um, I think what the most exciting thing to me is I think that um, anytime that you can shift the power uh, in a marketplace or in an economy towards the, the creators or the people that are creating the most value, um, particularly in marketplaces and economies and sort of industries where the power is shifted away from them, uh, I think that's really exciting because I think uh, almost everyone agrees that if the creator of something or if the person that's you know creating the most value sort of in like a value chain is the one that has control or has a lot of the power in a situation, that's that's sort of the best thing for the world. Um, and so what excites me is you know the potential for a world where. Uh, you know, anyone who is creating content, anyone who loves to create things, whether that's writing books, whether that's creating films, whether that's recording uh, albums, whether that's, you know, designing icons and fonts, anyone who, who has these sort of creative endeavors that they're really excited about can just focus on those and, and be able to sell those directly to their, to their audience, to their sort of, you know, following and make a sustainable living doing that. Um, because I think, you know, a huge percentage of the you know creators uh, in the world right now cannot cannot do that, and so they they work full time jobs that they don't really enjoy, and then their their art their passion sort of becomes an afterthought, and they're not able to devote the time they want to it. They're not able to put in you know the energy that they want to it, and you have to get to this very very high level before you get to a point where you can actually sustainably make money and make a living. And even the people that you think of as being super super successful. Um, you know, some of them even are struggling because there's so many people involved in the value chain and there's so many people, um, you know, that are that are sort of like involved in whether it's distribution, whether it's, you know, and a lot of these people add a lot of value. And we partner with a lot of these people and we work very closely with them. Um, but the, the piece that we're trying to solve is sort of this commerce piece where, you know, we want to as cheaply as possible for the seller, we want to deliver this amazing experience where they're able to sell content directly to their audience and then keep 95% of the revenue and all the data and own that relationship with their, with their audience. And so, um, you know, if you think about it compared to a platform like iTunes, if you're selling music or Amazon, if you're selling films where, you know, they take 30% of all the revenue, uh, even just that 25% piece without thinking about the data, which is thinking about purely the payment cut, um, is a game changer because that's, you know, that's a quarter of the pie that's now in play that wasn't in play before. Um, you know, and if you're, if you're making, you know, if your work is netting $200,000 a year, that's 50,000 more, uh, that's on the table now. And, and that's, you know, that's a salary that's, you're able to, you know, survive on that. And that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, to, to be able to kind of have a platform that, it, that can empower that type of, um, those type of people to, to sustainably make a living and to be able to just do what they love. Uh, that's, what's really exciting to me. Yeah, that's fascinating. And now you guys are really, you're teaming up with a lot of, um, 
you know, big time people. I mentioned Keith Urban before, but I know you've been in Nashville before, kind of um, establishing. I think you just came back from Nashville, you know, establishing relationships with a lot of uh, a lot of artists in that scene. People who are very much, uh, it, again, from my vantage point, in that traditional hierarchy or traditional structure of, um, you know, where where the artist probably doesn't make um, that much. He makes a small percentage because a lot of it goes to you know, the producers, the distribution, et cetera, et cetera. But now you're actually connecting with, with these artists. Um, and what's your results been with that? Like, how have they responded to Gumroad as a platform? Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, we So Gumroad was originally really built for the independent, you know, creator. Um, and this, this could be, you know, bloggers, authors, designers, uh, filmmakers. And we saw pretty early on that, the platform scaled really well to, um, you know, people with much bigger audiences. Uh, and I think some of like the first sort of bigger people to use it were like Guy Kawasaki, uh, like Diplo, um, a couple other artists like uh, Ellie Goulding. And so we started seeing a lot of success and we realized, well, this, you know, this works great for independent people that are selling directly to their audience, but it also works really good for these people with much bigger audiences because it's the exact same thing. They have this, you know, cultivated following that they have. They can, you know, sell directly to them, and they can make a much bigger percentage of the total revenue. Um, and so, yeah, we've worked really, really closely with the entertainment industry, um, you know, with the record labels, with talent agencies, with management companies, um, and it's been really exciting because, you know, these these artists uh, and filmmakers and comedians that, you know. Uh, are, are able to make a relatively simple change. You know, they, they just are able to sort of add this, this new payment platform onto their website that's very simple to implement. And their conversion rates go way up because the purchase flow is super simple. It's right on their site. It's mobile optimized. So there's no complicated checkout. Um, you know, it works on Android. It works on iPhone. It works everywhere. Um, and they keep 95% of the revenue of every sale. And so, um, you know, think like running pre-order campaigns for albums are really, really popular. Doing bundles with merch and stuff is very popular. And we're seeing a lot of success. We had, uh, you mentioned Keith Urban. Uh, he, you know, ran all of his pre-orders and all of his album stuff through Gumroad. And his album was number one uh, worldwide in the uh, opening week. It was announced yesterday. So that was really exciting. That's our second number one album, so Bon Jovi. Uh, about eight months ago, launched, and launched his album through Gumroad, which hit number one as well. And so we're seeing a lot of success. We've worked with um, tons of artists, like Eminem, Coldplay, Bon Jovi, Lil Wayne, uh, Keith Urban, Sarah Bareilles. And this is sort of like artists across every genre selling everything from f- concert films to albums to merch to exclusive video content. Um, and, you know, the flexibility of the platform allows them to sell kind of whatever they want and do it. Uh, to any level they want. Sometimes it's this huge campaign around an album, and sometimes it's just, hey, here's a limited edition T-shirt. Um, you know, something Eminem does really well, where he sells like limited edition T-shirts. There's a thousand. We're gonna only gonna make a thousand of these. Um, you know, and he tells that to his fans. Like, there's a thousand of these T-shirts. We're only making a thousand. If you want one, buy it here. And he just tweets and Facebooks the link, and you know, they sell out in 24 hours. Um, and so it's this opportunity to sort of, you know, very simply, very flexibly create. Um, you know, new content, new products that are really simple to then go and sell to your audience. And so we're seeing a lot of success. And, um, you know, and what's cool is that everyone's really excited. Like the labels are really excited because they, you know, they're making a lot more money because, uh, again, 25% more sort of of the pie is there. The artists love it because they're, the conversion rates are much higher. They're getting all this amazing data. Um, and they're making more money. And then the managers love it because they're, they're, you know, they're sort of just all about what's best for the artists. And, uh, we have great relationships with agencies as well. And so it's just cool to see 
um, you know, sort of every piece of the the chain, like in terms of you know whether it's music or whether it's film or um, you know whether it's for comedians, like seeing everyone involved, really excited about it, uh, has been a really cool thing, and we definitely. Um, you know, we definitely view that the sort of, uh, you know, the larger artists and filmmakers and stuff as a very big piece of the puzzle for us, just because we want to be the best payment platform for everyone, whether you have, you know, an audience of 10 people or 10 million, we want to be the best payment platform. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Gumroad is interesting to me, too, because you mentioned that 25% is now on the table. It's true. And the 25% is, it is, like you mentioned, a game-changing figure. And I'm, I'm interested, uh, you know, What's that been like now that it's it's growing so it seems to, to have been growing so quickly and it still is growing very quickly and getting more and more exposure and more and more people are using Gumroad as a platform um, and specifically kind of like in eBooks uh, you know let's take that as an example something that Amazon dominated the last I don't know ten years or so digital digital um, eBooks now it seems like the it, it almost seems like to me I, I see a lot of people using Gumroad to sell their stuff um, sell their digital books um, has that have you have you guys recognized that um, with, with your with your company with with Gumroad that you guys are kind of disrupting the even the the more modern archetype or the more modern uh, standard which is uh, Amazon you're disrupting things like that in iTunes. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that you know if you make the decision to be a marketplace and a very consumer facing brand, which is what Amazon and Apple have done, um, there's certain decisions you have to make or that you know maybe you don't have to but sort of make the most sense. Um, and those are things like owning, you know, all the data. So for example, Amazon, if you sell an ebook on Amazon, you have no idea who your buyers are. You don't have their email addresses. You don't, you have very, very little data on them. Um, with iTunes, you know, if you're sort of a normal musician, like your sales data is delayed by uh, hours or days or sometimes weeks. So there's no sort of real time feed. You have no idea who's buying your music. Um, and sometimes you don't even know how your music sold last week because you haven't received the report yet. And so I think, uh, you know, the, the decision we made not to be a marketplace, not to be this brand that we wanted to be, you know, consumer facing, where we just we wanted to sort of be in the background and let the, it just feel like and, and really it is a, a transaction just between the whoever's creating the content and then the audience um, that allows you to make decisions that you couldn't make if you wanted to be a consumer facing brand. And so, you know, part of that is the revenue structure where we take five percent and twenty five cents uh, versus twenty five or thirty percent. Uh, and then the data piece is is huge as well. We we give all the data to the creator. We don't we don't go and market you know send out emails to all your buyers. We don't uh, you know try to urge them to come and create Gumroad accounts and all this stuff. We don't require them to create a Gumroad account to purchase. Um, and so there's there's this uh, it, it's it's interesting because basically you're you're in a position where we can sort of make every decision. Uh, on behalf of what's best for the creators, because that's that's all we care about is how can we help people make more money online? Because that's we we don't have any incentive to sign people up, we don't have any incentive just to get more buyers, we don't have any incentive to to grow any number besides helping people make more money. Um, and so we can sort of make every decision uh, on behalf of our users and our sellers, which is a great place to be from a product perspective. But um, it also allows you to do things that I think Amazon and Apple uh, either will never do or won't do until their hand is really, really forced. And so for ebooks specifically, um, you know, if you think about you can sell on Amazon and, you know, you can have your ebook there in the Kindle marketplace. And for, you know, a very small amount of authors that will provide a meaningful amount of distribution. Um, you know, you may get twice as many, three times, four times as many sales because, you know, the book goes viral and you hit the number one, um, you know, your category of ebooks or whatever. Uh, it shows up in search results that you weren't expecting it to, et cetera. 
Um, but for most authors, like the only sales you're getting or the majority of the sales you're getting from Amazon are the ones that you're driving there from your audience. And so it's not providing a ton of distribution power. They're keeping 30% of the revenue and you're sort of flying blind because you don't know anything about your audience. You don't know who is, you know, buying it. You don't know who's interacting with it. And a lot of authors have tried to get around this with these sort of hacky things where they'll say like, forward me your, if you forward me your Amazon receipt, I'll give you something. And it's, it's almost like sad to me that you have to create these, you know, not a gimmick, but you have to say, like, hey, I'll give you something free if you forward me your receipt. And then they can know who their buyers are. Um, and so we've taken the position of, you know, we don't like we don't use any of your data. We pass on all the data to you. You get these really robust analytics. You get you can talk to your buyers. You can send them a thank you note immediately after they purchase. You can send them a thank you note and say, hey, thanks for buying. If there's ever anything you need, let me know. Um, and so I think that just the ability for us to make every product decision uh, with the mindset of, you know, and we literally, I mean, when we're thinking about products. We literally put sellers' names on it. So, um, you know, we, we say, like, what would Tom want? As a government seller, like, what would Tom want um, you know, us to do here? What, what, how would he want this feature to look? Um, you know, I mean, we always pick these independent sellers. We pick guys like Nathan Barry and Brendan Dunn, all these people that use Gumroadware. Say, what would they want here? Like, how would they want this feature to look? Um, because we have, you know, we don't need to sort of build a consumer-facing brand. We're not trying to build a marketplace. We don't have to think about those things. We can just make every decision uh, sort of with the best interest of our sellers in mind. And I think that's what that's what does give us the competitive advantage and is going to continue to um, because we don't have this sort of other value proposition. Um, on the table, and I think that specifically with ebooks and Amazon has what set, is what sets us apart. Yeah, I'd say actually thinking about that in terms of my experience with it, um, you know, some things that stuck out to me is, you know, you mentioned that you know you you guys don't um, you don't hoard any of the data, you don't keep it from the um, creator. Um, you also allow you essentially have created a conduit between the creator and his or her audience, which is hugely powerful. Um, and so like that combined with the analytics to look at, you know, who's buying, um, you know, how much they're buying, et cetera. And then to be able to reach out to them personally and send a message like a thank you. I found that immensely powerful for my own small little platform to be able to connect with my readers on a more personal level, um, even beyond the blog or whatever I create, but, but to connect with them on the basis of the product that, that they're buying from me, which I think is really powerful and just a really disruptive feature because now I see it as, you know, whereas Amazon and, and, and iTunes have created those marketplaces where they want to essentially own the, uh, you know, that, that whole system. Uh, now it's, I don't need them if I have built up um, an audience on my own. I could talk directly to the audience. I think that's really powerful. Right. And what's cool is that you can kind of carry that audience between your projects. And so, you know, you, you may do a, you know, a small ebook guide that you want to do you know, as a pay what you want product. And a ton of people buy that, and a ton of people get it for free, a ton of people donate. And then you have a new product coming out. Um, and there's a very high probability that if people really enjoyed the first thing that they got from you, they're, they're going to like the second, especially if it's in a similar, you know, sort of subject matter or similar themes. Um, and, and we think it's very, very important for you to be able to really easily carry that audience to the next, to your next project. And so, we make it easy on the buyer side to subscribe to you so they can click a button that says follow and then they get emails every time you put out a new product. Um, but you also have this direct relationship with them. So if you want to, you can shoot them a note and say, hey, Ryan, thanks so much for buying my you know, ebook on my you know, hangout with Seth Godin. I really appreciate it. By the way, here's this new thing I launched. I think you might like it. Click here if you want to check it out. 
Um, and I think that's super, super powerful because you, you know, every time you release a new product, you're building your audience more. And in addition to the revenue you're generating from that, you're, you're augmenting your audience. And, and sometimes we've seen, you know, that new, those new audience members that you get from releasing a new product to be as valuable or more valuable, particularly when you're thinking about lifetime value as the actual money you make on that project. Um, you know, because if you get a thousand new people, uh, you know, in your audience that you can now connect with and you can, you know, you're going to release 10 products and the average price point is going to be 15 and you're going to, you know, convert them to X percent of those. Uh, well, each new audience member becomes very valuable to you, particularly if you're doing it, like you said, in a very personable way and you're sort of creating this personal relationship where they feel like they can shoot you a note and give you feedback and you can shoot them a note and say hi and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, um, when I first released on it um, with the two days with Seth Godin product that I created, uh, I, I tried to reach out to every person that downloaded it and thank them for it. Um, it's been difficult, though, because uh, just the increase in exposure of it, um, the platform is so easy to use, and because I use Pay What You Want, which is actually what I want to talk about next, but because I use that kind of structure, I get a ton of people downloading it yeah. uh, because it's just, it takes away that uh, barrier, right? It, it, it eliminates one of the biggest barriers to entry um, by using Pay What You Want and then also just the, the very intuitive uh, minimalist design you guys have, um, and the fact that it's just it's just really easy to use from a consumer basis too. Like if I want to buy a product in Gumroad, I'm happy to because it's just so easy. But that also it's interesting because I'm getting ready to uh, to release um, uh, an e-course on pay what you want just as a a, a business um, structure. Like can businesses survive on pay what you want? So I'm doing all this yeah. hard analysis and and it's funny because it was it was spurred by my own use of pay what you want. And then writing a couple articles on it and then having a ton of people ask me questions about it. So I'm like, well, there's a lot of – obviously, there's a lot of big question marks out there. Is this something that's sustainable, et cetera, et cetera? Well, now I'm going to use Gumroad to release this pay-what-you-want product on how to build a pay-what-you-want business, which is not ironic. That's awesome. And <laughs> Yeah. And the cool part is I'm going to be able to reach out to every single one of these customers that's already bought something from me um, using the pay-what-you-want structure, whether they paid zero or whether they paid you know, 100 and I'm going to reach out to them and say, "Hey, I built this. You guys are familiar with it. See if you know. To see if you know. If you're interested, check it out." And so I'm really excited to test that out, yeah. which is something I haven't done yet with Gumroad to like essentially kind of share a new product that I've created. So I'm really excited to test that out. I think it's really, um, it could be really powerful. Yeah, that's awesome. So as far as pay what you want is concerned, actually, and that's I, I, I use that for all my products, um, and and that's actually was one of the deciding. Um, deciding factors for me to use Gumroad, one was the simplicity involved. I mean, that would have been a no-brainer. If you, even if you guys didn't have a pay-what-you-want feature, I still would have used it. But I'm really blown away that you guys included that. And have you, you know, what are your thoughts coming from, you know, the, 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 the you know, the person behind, uh, you know, one of the people behind Gumroad creating this platform, adding pay-what-you-want as a feature? Like, what was, what was the idea behind it? What, what spurred that? Um, and what have been the results from that, like from the pay what you want feature? Have you noticed any, have you gotten any feedback from artists? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's actually a lot of interesting stuff around pay what you want. And um, I'm really excited about, I didn't know you were doing this course, so I'm really excited about it. Um, I will buy it uh, first, but I, I'm really excited about, because <laughs> I think, I think it's actually, the interesting thing about pay what you want is I think people are, like fundamentally underestimate um, how engaged and excited the top one to maybe one to three percent of their audience is about things that they do. Um, and, you know, people like when you think about celebrities, you, you automatically think about this. Like you think about, you know, a celebrity like Justin Bieber, or Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, you think about these like top three percent of fans that are just insane about them. Um, but I think every person, like legitimately every person with any sort of audience has that. 
Um, and maybe it's only, maybe you have an audience of 20 people and two of those people are just crazy about you and they love everything you do and they read every post. And maybe you don't even know this. Um, and maybe you have an audience of a thousand people and there's 10 people that are just crazy about you and crazy about what you work and they love your work and they're so excited about it. And maybe they've never told you this. Maybe you've never talked to them about it, but they are. And I think what happens when you release fixed price products is the only, you're sort of capping how much, how sort of valuable they can tell you, how uh, valuable they can say that is to them. Uh, because you're saying, I'm selling this for $100 or $10 or $1 or whatever, and that's the price for this. And I guess they could like buy it again if they wanted, or they, and they can share it with their friends, which a lot of them do, and say, hey, you guys should go buy this. But for some people, that, that price point is going to significantly undervalue the product in their eyes. And so what we've seen is that you know, someone releases a pay-what-you-want product, and the average price paid particularly like if they start with a fixed price. So we, there's been a couple people that have started with you know, fixed price products, and maybe they'll start with $3 um, you know, or a $5 fixed product. And they'll do a few weeks of fixed products, and they'll say, wait a second, what if, we, what if we tried pay what you want? And so it's the exact same product, the exact same audience. And the average price paid will increase pretty dramatically. Um, there's a couple products where they started at $3, and then when they went to pay what you want, I think they, I think they, started, at, uh, they started at 3 and they went to 1 plus, like pay what you want, anything over 1. And the average price paid jumped to almost $5. So whatever it is, like 60%, 70%, I think 60, yeah, 60% increase um, in the average price paid, which is also, by the way, equal to total revenue. Um, and so the 60% increase in price paid and revenue per purchase just by going to pay what you want. Because there's these outliers that, that really heavily skew the metric where, you know, someone comes across a $3 ebook, but they've been reading your blog for a year and a half. They've loved every single post. Uh, it's helped them in their business. It's helped them in their life. Uh, you know, they've, they've gotten so much value from you that they've never had the opportunity to, I mean, they could send you an email and say, thank you, but that only goes so far. And now they're saying, okay, wait a second. This is my opportunity to sort of thank them for all this value. I want to pay them 50 bucks for this, you know, $3 ebook. I want to pay them 100 bucks for this $3 ebook. And I think people underestimate that. And, and sometimes it's these super fans. And sometimes it's just people who are really excited about that particular product. And they're just saying, I'm, this is exactly what I was looking for. You know, this is so valuable to me. I know this is going to help me in my business. I know this is going to move the needle for me on, you know, my outreach, on my pricing structure, on whatever. And it's worth it to them. And they want to pay, you know, more than sort of this, the, whatever the, the normal price you would pay for that is. Um, and so we've seen in a lot of cases where, you know, the, the average price paid goes up significantly after switching to pay what you want because you're allowing people to sort of value the product for themselves and then the other side of it that you sort of mentioned is that you also have people who maybe wouldn't have purchased it for $10, but will purchase it for $3. And so, you know, they, you would have got, you would have made $0 on them and you would have not been able to add them into, you know, a member of your audience if you priced it at 10, but because it's, you know, a three plus or a one plus or even a zero plus product, they're willing to buy it or they're willing to, you know, pay zero and get it. But you just acquired a, a new member of your audience and someone new that you can engage with. I think those things are all really, really important, and I definitely think there's still places for fixed price, you know, content, particularly at like when you start talking about really valuable things like, you know, uh, like super in-depth courses with lots of video content that cost a lot of money to produce. Um, but I think that you know, no matter who you are, there's there's a great opportunity to leverage pay what you want pricing, uh, and then I think if you're really innovative and you're really excited about it, which you know, sort of what you're talking about, there's opportunities to use it for everything or almost everything. 
Um, and I think it'll be, I think it'll be something that you see more mainstream, uh, you know, whether it's consumer brands, whether it's celebrities, like more mainstream people experimenting with. I mean, Radiohead is sort of the only one that's done it and it was, you know, semi-successful. The execution wasn't amazing. It was pretty, I mean, I think they would say it was successful, um, which I think it was, but I think we'll see more and more people experimenting with it, particularly on platforms where you can, you know, the data is very valuable and, uh, you know, you can engage with these people, even if they don't pay anything, there's still a lot of value there. Right, exactly. And of course, you know, based on the research that I've done and, and, and what I'm learning is, is one of the key points there is that they've, they've established a relationship with their customers. And so if, they've, if, the, if the relationship has been established, it's, it's very, uh, I think that's when pay what you want can be, um, it, it really is probably the only case it can be successful, but, but primarily be, be successful if you've, only if you've really established that relationship and they know the person or they understand the, the person or, or, you know, pe- people behind what, um, you know, who's creating the product. So when Radiohead even doing some research on them, they actually sold more with their pay with pay what you want album than they did um on their previous commercial release, the one prior to that. Yeah. So yeah, it was actually a blow up success for them, surprisingly. Um you know, I don't know if that that's how they would consider it per se, but um you know another thing too that you didn't mention but I, I, I want to mention too because it was really powerful for me was that because it was pay what you want, even the people that didn't pay any money were, it seemed like they were very willing to at least share the content yep. and spread it and tweet about it, Facebook it, because, well, again, what's the, why, why wouldn't you? There's nothing to lose here. It's, it's free if you want it. So there's really no, again, no barrier to, to entry there, but there's also no, um, no fear of if I share this with my audience, if they're going to get scammed or anything. Hey, it's, it's free if they want it. So I, I've noticed that a lot of people are willing to, to tweet and share things and, and, and Facebook share and, and, and spread the word more when it's a pay what you want product. But that's just from my own personal experience. And I, I found that very valuable. Yeah. And something we think about a lot around that is, uh, you know, someone who will download it for free or pay like a very small amount. And then, you know, a week later, three weeks later, a month later, they have time to read or engage with the content. And they think, well, this is actually really valuable. This is way more valuable than I thought. Um, we have a feature called Give More that allows them to go to their original email receipt and there's a link right there they can click and it takes them to the original product page where they can just, with their information already filled in, where they can just cl- they can give any additional amount on top of it and they can do that as many times as they want. So even someone who downloads something for free, if you know a month later they think, wait, this is, this is really valuable, I wasn't expecting this, they can then go and support that monetarily. And I, I don't know if you've seen that at all in your data, but We've seen that drive a lot of additional revenue for sellers, especially for people who it's maybe it's their first product or one of their first products, or they you know get a bunch of press around a product and it's new members of their audience that don't know them, that don't trust them yet, and they download the product for a dollar for even free, and then you know a month later they come back and they donate fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars because they say, hey, this is really valuable. Yeah, actually, even in my own case, I've seen that um, probably. You know, a, few, a dozen times, probably more. Um, and w- one one case in particular, it was a guy who downloaded all the stuff that I have, and um, I think it was all for free. And then he kind of engaged, he asked me some questions, and I engaged with him a little bit, and kind of gave him some pointers and tips on how to use it and implement it. And then, yeah, like a few weeks later, I, I got you know fifty bucks. Oh. He was like, you paid 50, yeah, right? You know, but that's the kind of that's the power of that. Like, it's it's just incredible, and that seems like small, you know, chump change, but the reality is. If you can do that with every person and, and the bigger your audience is, the more opportunity you have to do that. That's, again, a game-changing figure right there. Yeah. And you just couldn't have done that with any other platform. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah, very. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of curious. You know, you guys have been 
doing an incredible job creating a great platform. I, I, I love it and continue to plug it um, as often as I can. Um, I, I, what are you guys rolling out that you're excited about if you're at liberty to talk about it? Or what are you guys, just if, if you can't say specific features that you're rolling out, what are you excited about in, in terms of the future of um, Gumroad? Yeah. Um, so broadly, uh, like I, the thing that I mentioned earlier about how we just think about like what, what are things that we can work on? What can we devote our product resources to that are going to help make people more money? Um, and that kind of like falls into two categories, either one, making existing sellers more money or making Gumroad a better platform that works for more types of sellers. Um, so there's a lot of content specific features that we've been working on, some of which are released like, uh, streaming for video. So you can do like on demand streaming on any device, uh, you know, desktop, PC, uh, you know, iPad, iPhone, Android, everything. And it's still the 5% plus 25 cents free structure. So you don't have to pay streaming fees, hosting fees, all that stuff, which is pretty revolutionary. There's no other platform that allows you just to do streaming and not have to pay additional bandwidth fees. Um, so that's an example for film content, a new feature we built specifically for film uh, to make Gumroad a better platform for filmmakers. And then for authors, PDF stamping is another good example. So a lot of people want some sort of like DRM uh, or pseudo DRM solution that can kind of, you know, keep people from anyone who thought maybe how to share this with a bunch of people, uh, you know, something that will at least make them think, hey, maybe that's not a great idea. And we don't, we're not really huge fans of, of formal DRM and locking people into just, hey, use this on this one device and, or buy it again. Um, but this PDF stamping has worked really well where we just stamp, you know, the buyer's name and their email address and they, they bought it onto the first page of the PDF. Um, and it's, you know, a well-designed stamp. It looks nice. It's not obtrusive. Um, and so things like that, I think, are, are things we think a lot about is like very content vertical specific features. Um, and then broadly just thinking about how do we make the platform better as a whole and um, so some of the things we're working on is like better developer integration. So for third-party platforms that want to, uh, you know, integrate Gumroad, whether it's uh, like an analytics platform that wants to let you bring in all your Gumroad data, uh, you know, for accounting or for fulfillment or whatever. Um, or we have a new API that's coming out that's got OAuth and all these sort of really robust features. So that if you want to build integrations on top of Gumroad, you know, so. Uh, every Gumroad purchase automatically syncs with your email provider and sends them a thank you note, uh, you know, and, and an offer to, you know, whatever, jump on a call if you want to talk to whatever. I mean, you can you can sort of set up any sort of third-party relationship you want. Um, so that's a great example of something we've, we've been spending a lot of time on recently and will hopefully be out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then I think, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. We, we've basically kept the basic framework of Gumroad from the beginning. Like I said, yeah, you upload a file and then you sell that file. And now Gumroad is a lot bigger than that. It's still that basic premise, but we have, you know, subscriptions and on-demand streaming and PDFs and all these different features. And so, uh, you know, thinking a lot about how do we sort of maintain that original vision, that original integrity with this really robust feature set, but keep the seller experience as simple as possible. Um, and, you know, when you when like originally Gumroad, like February 2012 was literally like Dropbox and paywall. I mean, you, you dragged a file, you uploaded it, you put a title on it, a description, upload a preview. And that was that was like the platform. There was no like customer management. There was no analytics. There was no nothing. Um, and in many ways, that was like what people loved about it because it was so simple. It was so easy. Um, and I think we, you know, we've kind of continually added a lot of features. And so now thinking about like, how do we. How do we streamline, uh, even though we have all these features and all these new things that sellers can do, how do we streamline all of that into a really elegant solution? And I think it's great right now, but we're kind of constantly trying to push ourselves for how to make it better. 
um, and just how to simplify things from a solid perspective. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I like the fact that it sounds like you guys continue to keep at the heart of it, um, you know, minimalism and simplicity, uh, at, really at the heart of the product, which I appreciate, obviously, as a not only a producer of content using the platform, but a consumer. Um, I just like how, how simple it is and how intuitive. And, and I, I think as you guys expand and, and grow that way, it's, it's just a, it's just a remarkable in terms of a company not losing touch with its, uh, original, you know, uh, yeah, superpower essentially, or its original, original goal, um, when it started. And so it sounds like you guys aren't losing sight of that. And I'm excited to see what you guys continue to add. But uh, yeah, man, I really love the platform. I could probably talk to you for hours about it. But um, I'm going to wrap up here, and I just want to know um, uh, or let the the audience know where they can reach you if they're interested in getting in contact with you personally, and then also um, if they want to use Gumroad as a platform. Yeah. Um, so my emails uh, are the letter R at Gumroad.com. G U M R O A D. Um, would love to chat with anyone if you want to talk uh, how to sell content online, pricing, launch strategies. Um, or just some chat about Gumroad or in general, anything. Always happy to chat. Um, so ping me over email on Twitter. I'm at Delk, D-E-L-K. Uh, so ping me on there as well. Um, but yeah, I try to be like super accessible from my email everywhere and happy to, happy to chat with anyone who has questions or wants to brainstorm or anything like that. Well, I really appreciate it, Ryan. <clears throat> you know, you're a super generous guy, and I do appreciate you taking the time to do this and, and, and share your knowledge. I, I've always found that remarkable about you is how generous you are with, with your knowledge and how willing you are to share it and reach, you know, and take the time out of your day to connect with people. So thank you so much for that, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up In the Trenches, Broadcast 15. You can find the show notes at tomworkus.com slash broadcast 15. That's the number 15. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. And if you do, please share it with somebody you know who might appreciate it. Thank you in advance for your support. As always, this is Tom Morcus. And if you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance. <laughs>